on WHMP. And with a preview of First Night, we have live from the Barbara Kushka studio at WHMP, part of the Northampton Radio Group in downtown Northampton. We present for your listening pleasure, ladies and gentlemen, the Northamptons. This morning we're going to sing a jazz standard for you called When Sunny Gets Blue, and our soloist is going to be Clara Rondina. That was Susan Dillard, the director of the Northamptons. When sunny gets blue, her eyes get gray and cloudy. Just fabulous. The Northamptons. Susan Dillard, come here. You're the director. Uh, we need a lot to talk to you about because you are in, you have filled some amazingly big shoes in some amazingly cool ways. Um, I want to, I know, I know we have a lot of uh, now laughing students here, but I want you to know, listen guys, can't be that cool. You're emulating the 1950s. How many kids can we get into a phone booth? We have 14 or 15 of them here in the studio, plus some, some alleged adults. It's amazing. Okay. Uh, Susan Dillard, why don't you tell us who's here with us, can you? Sure, yes. I will go down the line here. We have a mixture of um, 10th through, uh, through 12th graders in this group. We have James Burton Johnson, Noah Dalby-Valois, Rain Jewett, Rainier, Rain Jewett, Max Watermill, August Santos, Evelyn Smith, Misha Stewart, 
Clara Rondina, Clem Mulcahy, Alma Rondina, Amelia Durbin, Summer Ventura, Morgan Brown McNeil, Juliet Langer, Lily Sanford, and Gio Jessup. And at current, we're also missing Jaden Meltzer at the moment, but he's there too. Uh-huh. Okay, well, anyone could have done that. We'd now do it backwards in reverse alphabetical <laughs> order, please. That's what, I, that's what I want to hear. Listen, I'd love to hear from the students how you happen to get into the Northamptons, so, and why you're here, and what your singing experience has been. So what I'm going to do is go around the room. I profess I have not learned everyone's name in the last three minutes, um, but perhaps you could introduce yourself, or Susan Dillard, you could introduce the student, and uh, what I'd like to know is what you'd like to tell us about yourself, why you love singing, and what being in the Northamptons has meant. And for seniors, okay, I know, I know, I know. I had one of these, a couple of these senior daughters, and don't ask me what I'm doing next year, but in case you care to volunteer it, we'd love to hear it. Okay, go. All right. Hi, everyone. Uh, I'm James. Uh, I've been in the group now for three years. I started as a sophomore. Um, I've always kind of been singing. Uh, my dad was in an a cappella group in college, so... Um, there's always been kind of music in my family, and uh, I just love singing with this group. So with your dad in an a cappella group in college, does that mean you have to hear things like, when I was your age, and other, other similar <laughs> sorts of things? All sorts of stuff like that, but it's always fun, and I love hearing about it. <laughs> okay. And what's your favorite kind of music to sing? Ooh, um, that's a good question. Uh, oh, good. I know I'd get one this morning. That's good. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, we... Uh, I just like singing whatever the group is, has fun in singing and when we have good energy together. And you do have great energy. Let's, who's standing behind you? My name is Noah, and I'm a bass in the group. This is my second year, um, and I'm a senior. And can I dare ask the question, do you have plans for next year? Yeah, I will be going to Vassar College in New York. Well, congratulations. That's great. Thank you. That's fabulous. Thank you. And you, you sing bass. Have you... Uh, have you been a bass for your entire time with the Northamptons? Um, yes. So I joined as a bass, um, and I think, honestly, my voice got deep pretty early. I think, like, as soon as I got into the high school, I think I was a bass. Okay, let's not go into, <laughs> let, let's, let's not, let's not go into the details of that. Thank you. It's, a, it's kind of a G-rated program. Who's behind you? Um, my name's Rain. Um, this is my first year in the group, and I'm also a senior. Um, yeah. Okay, uh, and you sing in what, what range? I sing with the basses um, with our wonderful section leader, Noah, uh, who just spoke to you. Um, and, and how many years did you tell us you've been in the group? Uh, this is my first year. I, I auditioned. I, I saw some performances last year, um, and it just looked like a lot of fun, especially the bass section. Um, <laughs> <laughs> okay. So it's been, it's been wonderful. Um, yeah. Can you tolerate me asking you that question that parental types tend to ask? Like, do you uh, have plans for next year? Sure. Yeah. Um, I'm I'm planning on taking a gap year next year um, and doing some working, doing some traveling. Oh, um, good for yeah. good for you. Both my daughters did that. It caused their 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 parents a lot of anxiety. But congratulations! It's a really cool thing to do. Thank Who's you. next? Uh, hi, I'm Max. I'm a senior, and I'm in the bass section as well. How long have you been with the Northamptons? Uh, this is my first. This is my first year. In and, the and what what inspired you to join? Um, well, I I just started singing last year. I did the the school musical. Um, Congratulations! And uh, I just got really into it. And so. what what musical did you perform in? 
Rock of Ages. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw it. Yo, it was yeah. fab- fabulous performance. Congratulations. <laughs> okay, and dare I ask you for your plans? Um, you can say no. <laughs> you can say no, Bill. I don't, no. I, don't, I don't know which one yet. <laughs> okay. Well, congratulations. Thank you for being with us. Who's next? Hi, I'm August. Uh, I'm a junior. This is uh, my first year in the tones. Uh, I'm also a bass, but I also sing tenor on some things. Wow, that's some range. And <laughs> what inspired you to join the Northamptons? Well, I've been singing from a pretty young age. I've been super into theater for a really long time and uh, figured this was a way to get me rehearsing and singing every day, which isn't something I would typically do otherwise. And do the Northamptons rehearse almost every day? Oh, yeah, yeah. Except for weekends, but every school day, yeah. (laughs) Wow, wow. Thank you so much for sharing that. Who do we have next? Hi, I'm Evelyn. I'm a junior, and this is my second year in Tones. And what inspired you to join? Um, Well, I grew up singing with my family, so this was... I knew the Northamptons as like the top singing group in the school, and I, they sounded the best, and I wanted to be a part of it. And are you looking forward to performing on first night? Very excited. And where have the, you performed with the Northamptons up to this point? At the high school, at uh, other venues? We've performed at the high school. We did first night last year. We've done just gigs around <laughs> <laughs> random things. <laughs> well... Say, say again, Susan? I was just saying, where were we last week? We sang at Bright Nights last week. Oh, congratulations. That's terrific. Who's next? Hi, I'm Misha. This is my second year in the Northamptons, and I'm a junior in high school. And what inspired you to join? My parents. Um, Your met- parents inspired you well, to join? Well, well that's, <laughs> that's fabulous. Let's hear it for the parents. Okay. <laughs> um, they were both in acapella groups, and they met through acapella. And really? So I've always been very... Um, like, I guess exposed to it as I was growing up. And I remember in elementary school, the Northamptons came and performed, and I was so inspired, and I was just, I knew I was going to audition were, when I got to high school. You were inspired by the Northamptons when you were in grade school. Mm-hmm. Your parents met because they were in a cappella group. <laughs> you're a Hallmark card. I mean, you're amazing. That's incredible. <laughs> well, thank you very much. For, who do we have next to share their story with us? Please. Hi, I'm Clara. I'm a sophomore in high school, and this is my second year in the Northamptons. And your inspiration for joining? Uh, your parents joined, uh, met in an a cappella group, <laughs> no, and they... they are definitely very musical, so that's a lot of where it comes from. But I did see the Northamptons back when I was in elementary school, and ever since then, I just remember really, really wanting to be in the group. Yeah, I think the Northamptons are amazing. I've seen so many performances over the years, and... Uh, what I will tell you now and tell you at the end of our time here together is you are an inspiration in Northampton and so much a part of the fabric of this community and you create such beautiful music so often that we are all in your debt. And I know it's just an old guy talking, but hey, uh, not, not bad for an old guy. And well, this, this is another old guy talking. I have to tell. Buzz, they can see that. They can see <laughs> that. This is Buzz. I am an old guy. But when I was about 10 years old, my sister was 16 and she loved somebody named Johnny Mathis and kept playing it and I kept hearing it in my bedroom. So I complained and my father, who loved to sing, took a Johnny Mathis song and had us all sing it. It was about this time of year, and it was When Sonny Gets Blue. Oh, right. Wow. I, think, I think his name is Jack Siegel was the author of that. But I remember when you just started singing that, I almost teared up. Oh, this is the kind of thing that old people tell you, and thank you for, thank you for living through it. Was, who, who do we have next from the Northamptons? Hi, um, my name is Clementine, and I'm a senior in high school, and I am an alto. And how long have you been with the Tones? Uh, this is my first year. Um, what inspired you to join? Um, 
Well, my dad is a musician, so... Of course, of course he is. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so I've, like, always grown up with, like, music around my house and, like, seen him perform and stuff. And then the Northamptons were, like, always a legend when I was at, like, JFK, like, the middle school. And so I always just wanted to be a part of it because it seems so cool. So. And dare I ask, do you have plans for next year that you would share with um, us? I don't really know what I'm going to do yet. Finally, someone like me. I appreciate <laughs> that. Yeah. Um, undecided at the moment. Okay. Terrific. Thank you. Who's next from the talents? Hi. I'm Alma, and I'm a senior, and I'm a tenor. And you've heard all the questions. What would you care to share with us? Um... Pretty much the same story as everyone. Your parents are musicians, and they left. Yeah. Well, and they met in an yeah. acapella group. I got it. We have to get the parents in here, Bill. <laughs> so, uh, you, you, I'm sorry, you sing in what range? Tenor. In tenor. Yeah. And what has been your favorite experience with the tones this year? Uh, honestly, spending every single day with all of them and getting to know them and having laughs and just like talking about everyday things. Yeah. Yeah, it is, it is that sense of camaraderie and the love between the members of the group, I think, that comes through so vividly, so intensely, and so wonderfully when you are all on stage. Thank you very much. Who do we have next from the Tones? I know you're embarrassed to get in front of a microphone. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Amelia. I am a sophomore, and this is my second year in Tones. I sing alto and sometimes tenor. And your favorite part of being part of the Northamptons? Definitely the community. It's so nice to just sing with other people who love singing and being on stage with everybody. Looking forward to first night? Oh, absolutely. Uh, actually, excited. it's pretty hard to say no to that question. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it's going to be great. I, it is going to be great. Who's next? Stepping up to the mic is? <laughs> I'm Summer. I'm a sophomore. I sing soprano, and this is my second year in tones. And what do you love about singing with the Northamptons? I just love the fact that it's a class, so we get to see each other every morning for like an hour and a half, and it's just a great way to start the day. It is a class. There's credit given for this? It's not just an extra... No, I don't mean to say just an extra... Yeah, it's, it's a class. <laughs> it's a class, and uh, you, you study music along with obviously rehearsing? Yeah, yeah. We learn songs. We learn about the songs, and... The history of the songs. Terrific. Thank you. Who do we have next? Um, I'm Morgan. I'm a soft I'm a junior. This is my second year. <laughs> <laughs> this is my second year in tones. Um, and I'm also a tenor. And what inspired you to join? Um, I I've grown up with um, parents who used to sing a lot. Um, <laughs> they met in an a cappella group when they were in college. I got <laughs> it. This is, is getting to be a very old story, really. <laughs> my, my dad is actually tone deaf, so no. Oh. But um, <laughs> my mom um, grew up, or didn't grow up. She, she... Um, oh, she did grow up. <laughs> <laughs> she didn't grow up. She was born an adult. Um, no, she's made music her whole life. Um, and so, but not as much after I was born. So I didn't really grow up singing a lot. Um, and I only really realized I could sing um, in freshman year of high school. But I had watched the Northamptons since probably elementary school. And I had been so inspired to try singing um, for so long and hadn't done it until I got to high school. So when the opportunity arose to audition, I thought I'd try out and I got in. And I must say, it's inspiring to me to hear from you how the Northamptons, which have, who have preceded you, have inspired so many of you. That That is really, uh, you know, carry it forward, pass it on, really remarkable. Who's next? Hi, uh, I'm Juliet. And? Oh, I'm out of questions. Talk um, to us. I'm a, um, I'm a senior, and I sing soprano, um, and this is my first year in Northampton. And what inspired you to join? 
Um, I also saw the Northamptons perform when I was in elementary school and middle school, and I, I love singing, and it makes me happy, and I, I love musical theater, and I love singing with people in a group, um, so this was a very fun experience. Well, thank you for sharing that. Join. We still have more people here in the phone booth, otherwise described as a radio studio. Who else? Um, I'm Lily. Uh, <laughs> I'm a senior, uh, and this is my second year in Tones. And what inspired you to join, and do you care to share what you're doing with us next year? Yeah, um, so my dad is a composer. Of course he <laughs> um, is. <laughs> but also I like grew up playing music, like I played the violin for a while, so yeah, I always just like really enjoyed playing, like making music and that kind of thing. <coughs> and what's inspiring in, uh, for you for being part of the Northamptons? Um, uh, I just love the community, like I love getting to sing with people, and yeah. Uh, and I am applying to colleges right now. Okay. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you for being with us. I think we are, last but not least, for our introductions. Um, <laughs> hi, I'm Gio. I'm a senior here at Northampton High School, and I sing the tenor part, and this is my first year here, and or at North, in the Northamptons. And what inspired you, and care to share with us what you might be doing next year? Yeah, um, three years ago, I moved to Northampton from Indonesia, and my cousin Phoebe told me I should definitely join the chorus group there that was led by Bo Flahive, the former director of the Northamptons, and that's where I was introduced, and I just fell in love and thought, I want to be there one day. Wow. And as far as my future, I think I want to go to college for ceramics. Well, congratulations. Thank you very much. Thanks, all of you, for being here. We're going to be right back. More live performances for the Northampton here in our studio right after this. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. Spreading holiday joy is easy with Zelle and the Greenfield Savings Bank mobile app. Zelle is a free benefit of GSB online banking. Once you've enrolled, whenever you need to send or receive money from family, friends, or people you trust, just use your GSB mobile app and Zelle. Want to give someone a holiday tip? Just use Zelle. Out to a holiday party with your friends? Split the bill. Just use Zelle. You can use Zelle to pay the babysitter when you're out celebrating or send them a little extra for takeout. Sharing the cost of a gift for your parents with your siblings? Just use Zelle. The possibilities for the holidays are endless with Zelle and Greenfield Savings Bank. And of course, you'll be using Zelle for your everyday needs year-round. Spread the holiday joy with Zelle and the Greenfield Savings Bank mobile app. The fast, easy, safe way to send, request, and receive money from friends, family, and people you trust. Member FDIC, member DIF. Mobile carrier charges may apply. Rachel Maddow's new book is Prequel, The American Fight Against Fascism. Get it now at Broadside Bookshop. Democracy Awakening, Notes on the State of America, is new from Heather Cox Richardson. And The Vaster Wilds is a new novel from Lauren Groff, a story of faith and survival set in the wilderness of early New England. Order any book on the Broadside website. Have it delivered anywhere or pick it up at the store. Then browse a bit. Broadside, Northampton's independent bookshop. You're a nonprofit doing good work in the community. You want to let people know? That's easy. Talk to Hannah. Tell her you want to have a PSA on WHMP. If you're a community nonprofit, WHMP helps you communicate. Have an event? Need donations? Volunteers? Talk to Hannah. She'll help you craft a message and we'll run it at no cost. 
Hi, it's Hannah. Email me at hward at whmp.com or call me at 586-7400. WHMP News, Information, and the Arts and messages from community nonprofits. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP. We continue our, well, let's put it this way. Buzz and I will not be singing with the Northamptons. <laughs> we are going to spare everyone that, but we are so thrilled to have with us in the studio this morning the Northamptons, who will be performing first at first night, on first night, at the Academy Music at 7 o'clock. The Academy Music, 7 o'clock. If you have not heard the Northamptons recently, do yourself a huge favor and go see the Northamptons, 7 o'clock at the Academy of Music on first night. Susan Dillard, you're the choral arts teacher, the director of the Tones. You had big shoes to fill. People loved Beauflahive, and they love you because you have done an extraordinary job with this group. And I'm wondering what your reflections are of your time with the Tones. Yeah, it's, um, you know, if... if I, I just have to say it, I guess, but, but Bo was my formative music experience. I was a Northampton. I went to Northampton High School and was a part of the chamber choir and the chorus and Northamptons. And um, just I, I've always loved music, but Bo gave, gave us such um, agency as, as high school students to be a part of the community, to perform, to um, arrange music. I've, I've, Amelia Durbin arranges music for us here, and there are probably some budding arrangers in this group. Um, and it just, it connects to, it helps you connect to music in a way that is beyond just listening to the radio, right? You get to do it and be inside of it. How do the tones select the songs that they sing? Well, um, <laughs> we've actually gone back and forth about this a fair amount, but um, there's, there is a... Um, you have to think about what the set list is, right? You have, want to have a nice mixture of ballads and upbeat and then some different styles. Um, so we talk about some potential songs and, and the group members suggest things. And then I kind of go back and see what there's music for, what we can get an arrangement made for, and um, sort of things sort of shake up and, and the chips fall uh, just based on conversations and just, I don't know, the criteria that I feel like we need to represent in our set list. And do you have to create the compositions? I mean, you have all these different uh, voice ranges. Uh, how does that work? So many, many of our, of our songs are, you know, prefab arrangements, but, but actually we have quite a few that I have arranged or that Amelia Durbin has arranged, one of our, our singers in the group who spoke earlier. Um, and I think it's way, way, way more, um, it, it's preferable when you have someone who knows the group, knows the voices, arranging for the group. Um, it really just helps people feel comfortable and like you can really bring out um, different elements and characters in, in the voices. So this is a bit of an unfair question for you, Susan Dillard, who is the choral arts teacher and the director of the Northamptons. You were a tone when you were a student. You're now the director, the head of this group. And I'm wondering what that experience has meant for you. It's kind of a how much do you love your students question, but it's also how much do you love the work? I was, I was actually just talking to Evelyn and Misha about this. It's like I, I have almost like an unrealistic relationship to music. It's just the, the one thing that brings me so much joy that I have done my whole life long. Um, and teaching it is is at the exact same level, right? Performing and teaching, they're two different 
um, ways to connect to music, and I couldn't live one without the other. And and having a group like this to um, work with and to to build and get to know has it just makes it makes my life rich. And teaching is something of performing as well. You have some thoughts about that? <laughs> I'm sure I have. Yes, welcome to my <laughs> TED talk. <laughs> okay, listen, I really appreciate the Northamptons, all of you being here today. And I want you to know I say this as sincerely as possible from the bottom of my heart. You are an extraordinary part of Northampton. You bring an immense amount of joy and talent to this community. And I am really so proud to be part of this community with you. Can we hear another song? Absolutely. Um, we're going to do one of our crowd, our crowd pleaser closers. We're going to do Take It Easy by the Eagles with Max Watermill on the solo. Well, I'm running down the road trying to loosen my load. I got seven women on my mind. For the one on me, two that wanna stone me, one she's a friend of mine. Take it easy, don't let the sound of your own wheels drive me crazy. I know, but you still can. Don't even try to understand. Just find a place to make your stand. Take it easy. Well, I'm standing on a corner in Windsor, Arizona It's such a fine sight to see It's a girl, my lord, in a flatbed for the stone down to take a look at me Come on, baby, don't say maybe I got no your sweet love, don't say me We may lose and we may win but we will never be here again So open up, I'm climbing in Take it Take it easy. 
Hamptons will be performing at first night at the Academy of Music at 7 o'clock. If you haven't heard the Northamptons live, you've got to do yourself this great favor of going to hear and see them. They are amazing. Every year when you all perform with the college groups, the college a cappella groups, you are as good or better than any <laughs> other. And you absolutely are a fabulous, fabulous a cappella group, and we appreciate you so very much. The Northamptons, again, at the Academy of Music, 7 o'clock on first night. Thank you all so very much. Thank you, Susan Dillard, for bringing your group with you and us to us today. We really appreciate it. You are our fabulous. Thank you so very much. Break a leg. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. This is Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. Three men involved in the shooting in Holyoke that killed an unborn child and severely wounded the mother in October have been indicted by a grand jury. Alejandro Ramos, John Luis Sanchez, and Kermit Alvarez will now appear in Hamden Superior Court on murder charges. Two other suspects, Jose Galarza and J. Marie Rosado Rosario, have been indicted on charges related to helping Alvarez after the shooting, who turned himself in and was arraigned one month after the shooting occurred. Two people were struck by vehicles near Smith College last week, and now officials from the city and the college are looking for ways to make crossing the street more safe. West Street and Elm Street are some of the busiest roads bordering the college campus. At least 13 people have been struck by cars on those two streets within the last eight years, according to the Gazette. The city of Northampton recently conducted a study paid for by a $66,000 gift from the college to analyze the traffic situation on Weston Elm and to provide possible safety improvements to the area. The proposed improvements include flashing lights at the crosswalk by Forbes Library and converting Green Street to a one-way road and adding bicycle lanes. A Florence man will spend the next four years in prison after pleading guilty to 13 counts of possessing child pornography. 61-year-old Philip Brocklesby also received five years probation and will have to register as a sex offender and have no unsupervised contact with children upon his release. Prosecutors allege Brocklesby possessed 100,000 files and frequented the dark web. He was arrested in September 2020 at his Bridge Road home. Plenty of sunshine today, a high of 34 to 38. Clear skies tonight, cooling off with evening temperatures in the 20s and an overnight low of 10 to 16. Bright again tomorrow, a high in the mid to upper 30s, mostly cloudy on Saturday. I'm 22 News Storm Team Meteorologist Brian Lapis, 1015 WHMP. There goes the light. Go ahead. You're on the air. When Radio Was relives the golden age of radio. Do you ever listen to the radio? Oh, I might tune in one of those comedy programs occasionally. Can't you see anything at all under that blindfold? Well, on a clear day, I can see the blindfold. You can. Yeah. I'm Greg Bell, and join me. With a switch of a dial. When Radio Was. Brings you a whole world at your command. When Radio Was. Right here, Sunday nights from 8 to 10 on 101.5 WHMP. Quiet, numbskulls. I'm broadcasting. Every day, financial ads claiming to be different from the competition. Are they? I'm Francis Rayum, the money doctor, and I'm about to make a bold statement. I believe the thing to focus on isn't their uniqueness, it's yours. No one has the same financial situation or needs as you, and no one can help us help you better than you. But the truth is, when it comes to managing money, most of us are not as successful as we'd like to be. No matter how focused we are, it's almost impossible to separate emotion, and being in a relationship can further compound the issue. That's why I developed Hug Your Money. Financial coaching coupled with online software and tools to empower you to manage money wisely. We guide you every step of the way to resolve immediate issues and plan for your financial future with modeling scenarios. 
So whether it's debt, budget, retirement planning, or a financial crisis, having a Hug Coach in your corner is like having a new best financial friend. Hug Your Money is as unique as you are. In fact, it's patented. Visit HugYourMoney.com. When depression makes life more difficult than it ought to be, you have treatment choices. Talk therapy, medication, TMS, escetamine. Which is best for you? ServiceNet offers all these choices in one place. ServiceNet's team of therapists, nurses, and psychiatrists are all working toward one goal, to help you feel better. At ServiceNet, we have your back. Call ServiceNet at 584-6855. The care you need is right here, all in one place. At ServiceNet. interesting people they wallow in corruption crime and gore tingling-ling city desk pull the press pull the press extra extra read all about it it's a mess meets the test we welcome back to our studio dan crowley who is the editor of the daily hampshire gazette the greenfield recorder and the athol daily news we are so pleased that you can be with us to help us understand how local news is gathered and is reported and otherwise is brought to us. And I know, Buzz, you had been dying to ask Dan a question, so it's yours. Dan, it's always so nice to have you here, but I, I, I have a big sort of picture question. I read a Brookings Institute report that said that 65 million Americans live in counties where there is no local newspaper or one that's accessible to them, not necessarily from their county. And th these places are called news deserts. Um, it, it speaks about the difficulty of local journalism remaining alive, advertising not being there, and the other things. So I just want to hear your thoughts about what do we lose by not having local newspapers? Well, I, I think the first thing is when you pick up the local newspapers here, you lose that. <laughs> Any, anything that we have in today's newspapers, um, and if there's no newspaper, if there's nobody on the ground doing that every day, you, you, you're not going to have that news. You're not going to have, you know, we're, we're an independent news organization, and, um, and we go out every day and try <laughs> to collect and capture the, what we think and what people tell us they want to know more about uh, important news of the day. So that, that's, that's the biggest thing. It's, I just want to point it's out information. I picked up the recorder this morning and on the front page there's two stories that really caught my, my attention. One is these displaced residents by fire are overwhelmed by the support they got for the community, making a horrific story into somewhat of a wonderful story. And uh, next to it, uh, a local activist, John Bonifaz, talking about the Colorado ruling and hailing the ruling that takes Trump off the primary ballot. One is enormously local, and one is a, a local person's reflections on a national story. I can't get over just how important it is to have local journalism. Yeah, I mean, we. I think the people that people get into this business for for the most part that I see in our newsrooms uh, love doing this work. They 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 know the importance of it, and um, and you know I I, I we we uh, we have some staffs that work really hard at, at at getting getting people the news. I think we're aware of some pockets around us. Um, a few uh, five, six years back, we decided to start covering Holyoke more than we normally had. And that's a city that, that is just so much news going on there all the time. And it's so connected to cities like East Hampton, North Hampton. We have subscribers in Holyoke. Um, 
and that I'm just throwing that out as an example. Like we're kind of a, we're aware, and I think if you're if you're a, a str- if you're a strong news organization, and then you you you, you start looking on your periphery, um, and um, you just kind of want to do more, and and that's kind of what we wanted to do in that city. Um, you know, and just in terms of the kind of news, they had a mayor that ran for Congress. They had you know all kinds of stuff. Uh, so. Um, yeah, I think uh, as you get further west uh, from, you know, the Franklin County and, and um, Hampshire County, you know, some of those places in the hill towns that can be, um, that are outside the counties, uh, can be quiet news-wise sometimes. And news deserts, new- we call them. Yeah, yeah. Unless yeah. they do it online, of course. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so um, we, 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 with, with the resources we have, we, we try to... Um, do as much as we can every day and, and trying to get as much information uh, out there um, about what what are you know bubbling up as, as some of the big stories. So. I really appreciate that the Gazette has expanded its coverage of and into Holyoke and has crashed through that tofu curtain and sort of said to the Upper Valley, hey, we are part of a bigger community here and this matters, this city matters, and it is right on our doorstep in Northampton, and we should be paying attention. And I think that's what the Gazette has done in terms of its uh, coverage of Holyoke, and it's given us an expanded and better and deeper sense of community here in Western Massachusetts. Yeah, um, and, and we're always pulling in stories of statewide significance. Um, we su- we subscribe to Statehouse News Service, for example, and they have a robust team in Boston um, doing a, a lot of coverage of, of some of the work that our local legislators are doing in Boston as well. So um, I think we, ha- I know we have an, an audience that wants to see stories that, that, you know, we all want stories in our neighborhood, in our city, but they also want to know a bit of a larger picture going on uh, in their immediate environs around them. So That ultimately impact yeah, our local right. environments. Interesting to me how... You, as the editor of the Gazette and the Greenfield Recorder and the Athol Daily News, decide to place news where it goes in the paper. And front page of the Daily Hampshire Gazette today, activist colon, dateline, Pioneer Valley. What do you call this thing at the top where it says where it's from? It's, it's, it's called a kicker. It's kind of a technical term. but It's, it's a kicker. I like yeah, that term. Yeah. Okay, I want to, should be able to remember the kicker, Pioneer Valley, as opposed to Northampton or Greenfield yeah. or Holyoke or something else. Activist of victory for democracy. Amherst lawyer Boniface hails Colorado ruling banning Trump from primary ballot with a call out, a quote from John Boniface, attorney from Amherst. Every chief election office official now ought to look at this ruling and recognize they have a duty to follow this mandate. How do you decide how prominent to make what is a national story and give it a local flavor? How do you, how do you decide this is front page news today? Well, there's a lot of people here in our backyard who are doing amazing things and have connections to larger national issues. And when there, that's an example of that story. The other is the the, the, the um, story about the local couple that are working for DeSantis. Um, yes, you know, and 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 we know, we know that there's interest in that. Um, this presidential race is is. Has unbelievable uh, interest, and our opinion pages are filling up all the time with uh, st- uh, columns about the Supreme Court and Trump and everything that's going on. and And I think um, this this ruling is um, it, it's big news. It is obviously big news. Yeah. It is also, I think, uh, one of the 
uh, highlights and, and strengths of the Gazette and the Recorder that you take that national news and you give it a local flavor. You went to John Bonifaz, your reporters went to John Bonifaz, who's obviously the founder of Free Speech for People, an activist, a well-known and national figure. Here he is in our backyard. We have a lot of people, I won't say like that, but we have a lot of unique people with uh, extraordinary connections and involvements nationally yeah. here in the Pioneer Valley. Uh, do you keep the most world's most amazing Rolodex? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you know, it's a good question because yes, we have a Rolodex and yes, we, we have... Inst- Still a physical we, Rolodex? Oh, come on. They're a, a couple kicking around the newsroom. Really? <laughs> they're, they're, in, they're in the, the library slash museum, the, new, the newsroom library slash museum. Um, but, I, but to go back to your point, we, we, we have that, to a degree, that institutional knowledge where we can go to people that we know are experts in these areas. But I will say that it's always um, really pleasantly surprising when we don't know about them, and then we do, and then we learn about them. Um, I can't think of any examples off the top of my head, but suddenly it's, you know, uh, someone will write in and say, um, you know, I was just here uh, participating in this, you know, this cause in South Carolina, whatever, and we'll, and we'll talk to this one, like, does anybody know that this person lives lives right here in the valley? and is doing, and I think is doing this work on a national level and and without local journalism we would never know that these incredible people are here doing this yeah. work. Yeah. Yeah, well speaking of Holyoke, uh, I'd like to return to that for one minute because there is a I think direct connection to this topic of the importance of local journalists and local papers and local media. And that is when the Holyoke transcript folded now many years ago. It was a devastating blow I think to the city. And there were a couple of newspapers that tried to, well, I'm not sure take its place is quite the right phrase, but it is tried to fill that void. Uh, didn't succeed terribly well for very long. And I think the city has suffered since. And I'm wondering if that is an apocryphal story or whether you think that as newspapers uh, continue to report, whether it's in a physical newspaper on newsprint, or whether it's on electronic media, whether that matters so much. Well, I I don't know all the examples of looking back in the history of that, but I think um, there have been some very big stories in that city, as you know. I'm at the, the soldiers' home during the pandemic, and and as I mentioned, people running for Congress and and such, and big school votes, the education system, the state. It's one of only two places in the state that has receivership of, of the schools. And, um, and there was, of course, the shooting on the bus uh, recently. Yeah, there's a piece today in, in about that. The, the woman, eight months pregnant, and the baby, not yet born, but born in the hospital, did not survive. Right. That's a big story. It's a big national story. Um, so um, back to your question, um, w- we, I always want us to be able to do more, not just in that city, but at every town and city we cover. And again, every day we look at, at what, what stories are in front of us, uh, the resources we have, and, and, and go to work and attack the news. And I think um, we're, we're, I'd love to do more. Hey, I'd Bill, you could be a columnist for the Daily Hamden Gazette. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we'll just, we'll just allot right over that one for a second. I, I would like to know your thoughts 
Dan Crowley, on the way in which people receive news, and that yeah. is, do they read the physical newspaper more than they read online? Let's find out about that right after these messages. Good question. Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg coming up right here on WHMP. Find local news and local talk for the Valley. It is critical that the investigation is not limited to federal violations of gender discrimination, but includes the alleged allegations of corruption, nepotism, abuse of power, and use of position to aid Ms. Cunningham's personal business. These allegations actually require an investigation by a different body than a Title IX investigator. Where the heart of the Pioneer Valley lives. 1015 and 1400 WHMP News, Information, and the Arts. I'm dreaming of a white, non-sectarian, non-denominational, non-government-sponsored late December holiday. Hey, honey, come quick. It's the ACLU Carolers. I'm singer-songwriter Patty Larkin, and this is the Civil Liberties Minute with ACLU attorney Bill Newman. Tis the season, the silly season, the time of year when some claim that the ACLU is against Christmas because we and other groups that believe in religious freedom fight to maintain the First Amendment guarantee of a wall of separation between church and state. Separation of church and state has meant that religious symbols, including a creche, that's a structure depicting baby Jesus in the manger, can be displayed on private property, but that public property is reserved for all the people and not one specific religion. It's the First Amendment's Establishment Clause that has prohibited the government from endorsing, favoring, supporting, or trying to establish a national religion. Sadly, in 2022, the Supreme Court gave a gut punch to the Establishment Clause, holding that a high school football coach right after the game could conduct his Christian prayer service on the 50-yard line, which of course looked like a school-sponsored, that is government-sponsored, religious service, with some students feeling compelled to participate. Fortunately, most people still believe in separation of church and state and the right to sing and listen to May Your Days Be Merry and Bright or not. The Civil Liberties Minute is made possible by the American Civil Liberties Union because freedom can't defend itself. Go out to eat, save 30%. Get a guitar or take lessons, save 30%. Pork chops, rug cleaning, hypnotherapy, save 30%. The Shop 30 store, full-value gift certificates to local restaurants and merchants, plus tickets and events. Just click, print, and save 30% on the stuff you were going to buy anyway. The Shop 30 store, open right now at whmp.com. What's cooking at River Valley Co-op? Here's avid eater, grocery shopper, and co-op member Bill Newman. Sweeten up your holiday parties with gingerbread cookies, chocolate hazelnut seashells, vanilla Hanukkah cookies, and mini Dresden stolen. It's all at the co-op. Sweet treats, the holiday roast, fresh seafood, beer and wine, and lots and lots and lots of local farm fruits and vegetables. Do a little gift shopping, too. River Valley Co-op, wild about local. Everyone is welcome. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. 
WHMP. We continue our conversation with Dan Crowley, executive editor of the Daily Hampshire Gazette, the Greenfield Recorder, and the Athol Daily News. We want to know from you, Dan, what you you're, see as the future. We're looking at the calendar turning over into a new year. The future of these newspapers as actual physical newspapers? What's your, what can you share with us? Well, it's a great question. Um, our digital readership, our online readership, is has been increasing, and more and more. And you've been promote the paper has been promoting it. You see every day, well, not every day, but many days. Here's how you can get more out of your subscription. Here's how you go online to get it, and so on. And so yeah, forth. and I, 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 our circulation team just had a, a promotion about getting online subscriptions. But those those have been trending up. Um, they did really well during the pandemic. Um, uh, the online reader readership. That's when we saw some significant growth, um, and um, I'm, you know, some of that had had to do, I'm sure, with people not wanting to touch their physical papers, maybe, and and uh, we didn't know a lot about the virus and all that. But um, it's a, it's a it's a it's a exciting time because I think uh, we're making improve. We're trying to make improvements to our websites, um, and those are that's a work in progress <laughs> and. Uh, early next year, um, there'll be some. Um, not a lot will change visually on those, but but they're going to be better in terms of being able to um, put even more news onto our home pages than we are now. And we're cognizant of that. Our websites are tw- uh, we treat them like a twenty four seven news cycle. They are on a different. Um, uh, they're not in sync all the time with the new- with the printed newspaper. We have news; it's ready to go. Uh, it's been vetted, edited. It's it's getting up online, and um, so that is like a different animal than than the printed paper. But we have lots and with thousands of people that still love to read the newspaper. So it's um, and we have the e edition online, which is you can it looks like a newspaper, and you can flip through it on your phone. Yes, I thought you did it especially for me. Okay, Newman, <laughs> here you are dealing with some kind of technology, but they've made it something really familiar for you. So thank you for that. Yeah. It's so important to have this local journalism. So I, I just have a question for advertisers, and I hope people uh, who uh, will benefit from advertising do it with local journalists. Uh, but is, is, do people choose either to do a paper or online advertising? Are they the same uh, advertisers, or are they different? Uh, I I can speak more to readers and subscribers than the advertising, but I'm sure that we have some that just advertise online and some that, that advertise in, in print and some that do a combination of both. And, and in terms of our subscribers, we have people that just subscribe to the print edition, some that just do online, and some that have some that do both. So, well, you, you, when you do the print edition, you get you it get online, the online, yeah. So, but they um, what I'm trying to say is they read it both ways. Mm-hmm. They like to have in print, and they can also have it on their phone. And we also have news alerts. Um, you can set up your phone where anytime there's a story published to the Gazette or the Recorder site, it pops up on your phone. Right. I'd like to ask you about a story that the Gazette covers every year uh, and puts on the front page regularly before Christmas, and that's the Toy Fund. Part of the community has been for a long time. I'd appreciate your telling us about that news placement and how, in your judgment, I think this helps build community as well as do something really nice and kind for Christmas. Yeah, the toy, the Sydney F. Smith Toy Fund is a, a, a eighty-plus year tradition at the Gazette. 
if you read the stories, it was started by a business manager, Sidney Smith, in, uh, during the Depression. Um, and it's a huge uh, uh, fundraiser for, for families and children during the holidays that, that don't have a lot. And there's a lot of people that donate to this that um, are have been former recipients of the toy fund. They benefited from it. They know people who have benefited from it. Um, and it's, it's, it's a real... Um, anchor in terms of a holiday charity in this in this uh in this region and it's a joyous story every day i want to know yeah, how much three I days a week it. tuesday thursday on the weekend we're publishing stories about the toy fund the, the peeling back the layers of people who have donated occasionally people who have received thank so, you yeah thank you for doing it yeah and thank you for being with us today dan crowley is the executive editor of the daily hampshire gazette the greenfield recorder the athlete daily news we are in your debt happy holidays to you yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, Happy New Year. Uh, You're soon. listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. Caring for someone with cancer is hard. You're so busy taking care of someone else, you have no idea how you feel. There's so much you can't say. You run on adrenaline. You're worried you're going to burn out. Cancer Connection offers support groups just for caregivers, exercise classes to blow off steam, even Reiki. It's all free. Go to cancer-connection.org to learn more or to donate today. Cancer Connection relies on local donations to make its services free of charge. The Literacy Project offers free classes for adults to improve their skills and prepare for the GED or ISET exams. We offer classes in Northampton, Amherst, Ware, Greenfield, and Orange. Plus, we now offer a class in East Hampton. For more information, call 413-584-6755 or check us out at www.literacyproject.org. If you want to learn, the Literacy Project is the place for you. WHMP North MP. This is Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg on WHMP. And welcome to Talk to Talk. I am Buzz Eisenberg. I'm Bill Newman. And I am always thrilled. This is our uh, Science and Sensibility segment with Professor Emeritus GCC, Brian Adams. He comes weekly and he is so reliable. Uh, he's going to edify us and it's, he's as reliable as the day is long. Wait a minute. Brian, is the day long? The day is not long, Buzz. In fact, it is the shortest day of the year. The most darkness of the year, and we call that the winter solstice. The dark ages. The dark ages. Sunrise today at 7.13, setting at 4.18. That's like nine hours Yuck. of sun. Yes, and if you live in the hill towns like you, Buzz, you know, with those hills and the forests, you're getting even less sunlight, so it seems like it's... It's so the people good. there that make us sunny. Oh, I'm sure. That, and your sunny disposition, I to all of that. Here to explain the solstice and why we have short days and why we have long days and why we have seasons is my favorite astronomer in the world, Smith College Professor of Astronomy, Kimberly Ward. Duong, Kimberly, thank you so much for joining us. This is your third time on the show, so third time is charm. So today is the winter solstice, shortest day, longest night. What? Why? Why does that happen? <laughs> Yeah. Uh, well, first, thanks so much for having me back. It's so much fun to be back here again. And yeah, this winter solstice is a really special day. It's a special day uh, for historically for humanity since time immemorial. So the winter solstice, um, the name of the word solstice comes from sol, meaning the sun. And stis is a sort of 
standing still. So the sun is standing still. So if you think of like armistice, right, the, the standstill. Um, and the reason we name it that is because this is sort of the lowest point that the sun is going to get in the southern sky. And this has been noted forever since the ancients. So, you know, every day from the summer to the winter, the sun, we watch the path of the sun and it rises in the, in the south and it gets kind of like lower and lower and lower. And then eventually there's a point where it stops and it turns around and after today, its highest point in the sky will start to get higher again. And the I love when longer. it gets so low that my gutters on the north side will not thaw. Right, exactly. <laughs> but that's the good news, right? The sun is returning. Yes. Um, and we're, go we're headed now toward more daylight every day, but it's still kind of standing still for the next week or so. Not much difference. Yeah, we won't notice. You won't be able to visually tell very easily that it's, its highest point in the sky is getting a little higher every day. But you can imagine for ancient people, it's probably a very worrying thing, right? They're watching the sun kind of get lower in the sky every single day. Like, what if it never comes back? That was the kind of the concern about the solstice. And so many of the festivities and holiday season things that we have are actually uh, from ancient civilizations sort of hoping to bring the sun back. So um, maybe if we make offerings, maybe we'll make sure that the sun doesn't just disappear and the days get infinitely shorter and we don't have sun anymore. And in the southern hemisphere, it is the summer solstice. It's the longest day of the year. Right? So why is that? Yeah, so it's sort of it's sort of the opposite, and it's just related to the tilt of the Earth's spin axis. So if you think of this, the Earth as just a ball and a stick that's spinning around, our North Pole is pointed a little bit away from the sun by about 20 degrees. And that means that right now the southern hemisphere is getting lots of sun and the northern hemisphere is getting much less sun. But in six months, it'll be the exact opposite. We'll get the really long days because our pole will be pointed toward the sun receiving more light. And our Australian and South African friends will be pointed away and have their longest day of the year, so, shortest day of the year. So shortest day of the year for us, longest day of the year for those in the southern hemisphere. And exactly. then opposite when we get into the summer exactly. solstice. Um, let's talk about light because this is the season of light and returning yes. light and talked about all these festivities and, and I want to get back to the solstice in a bit and talk about what folks can do to celebrate the solstice at the Stonehenge, the mini Stonehenge at yes. UMass. But this is a really basic question, so don't laugh when I ask it. Um, what is light? What is light? Actually, it's a really complicated question. Yes. <laughs> um, the easiest way, I think, to think about light is to think of it as pure energy. In fact, um, and light is very weird. The really complicated part is that light has kind of two properties. It can behave like a, a particle, like a, you know, like a little bolt, like a billiard ball almost, or it can behave like a wave. And that's the kind of really confusing part. But the way I like to teach it in my classes is to think of light like jelly beans. So jelly beans are pure energy. They're just sugar, right? <laughs> and they come in different colors. And light is the same way. So light ha is pure energy, and it comes in basically different, like more or less energy that corresponds to different colors of light that we can see. And also lots of light that we can't see, like x-rays or even radio that you're listening to right now. Um, that's a form of light that's coming through um, the airwaves to your radio receiver. But I, I don't understand how it travels. I mean, how does light move? All right, so it's a jelly bean, yep. <laughs> right? And then you have these things that give off light, like our sun. Like our sun. But then why does it 
how does it just burst out and keep moving? Yeah, absolutely. I, light, this is where it gets to the wave part. So we have a fancy uh, way of describing light, which is that it's an electromagnetic wave. <laughs> and so light actually has two pieces. It has an electric field and it has a magnetic field. And those two pieces kind of interacting with each other allows light to move at the speed of light, which is the fastest thing in the universe. Um, the sun generates light through nuclear fusion. So it's actually what's happening in the sun right now as we speak are hydrogen atoms are crashing into each other and fusing into helium atoms. And that process actually converts a little bit of the mass to light, like radiation. And that light is in the center of the sun and it, it eventually escapes the sun and streams through space to us here on Earth. Is that why the sun... I understand. I understand from Solomon Amida. I don't have to worry about this today. But the sun is going to disappear because it's using up its own energy. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Bill. So now we don't. Not only do we have to worry about um, Trump and <laughs> democracy and creeping fascism, but we have to worry that the sun's burning out. No. <laughs> <laughs> that's a, that's, that's a three billion a year right. event. We there, got a buddy. while. Right? We got a, yeah, we got a while. It's kind of funny. The ancients were worried on the solstice about the sun disappearing under the horizon. We're we're now worried for not a long-term reason that in about 5 billion years or so the sun will exhaust its nuclear fuel. It'll it's all it only has so much hydrogen in it to make into helium and so eventually it will sort of run out and then and then it'll actually kind of And then what are we going to do? A lot of exciting <laughs> things will happen, but we won't be around to see it. No. <laughs> Maybe we should have more short days. It'll, we'll have more, more of them That's right. right. Just sleep just sleep days. less. <laughs> That's right. We'll have to figure that out when when it comes. Um, I want to talk about the, the still on this traveling light thing, which really mm -hmm. blows my mind. Mm -hmm. So you're doing research on the James Webb telescope, which yeah. is really, and we're going to get back to that in a moment. But the James Webb can look at light energy that has been traveling for like 13 billion, billion years, years, right? Yeah. And, I, and I can't wrap my brain around that. I mean, if it, light is a little jelly bean mm -hmm. of this energy, isn't it going to, and it's coming from a star that's, 13 billion light years away, right? Yeah. Doesn't it, isn't it going to hit something on its way here <laughs> and stop it? And how do we see that? I don't get it. Oh, that's a great question. I mean, honestly, we're just seeing the lucky light that didn't get stuck on its way to us from that 13 billion year uh, light year distant star. So um, actually just a few months ago, I think back in August, the um, James Webb Space Telescope discovered the most distant star that's ever been observed. And it is, in fact, 12.9 billion light years away in a very distant galaxy. And so light coming from that star has traveled through space and time to get to us. But of course, you know, there's a lot of light coming from that star. We're not seeing all of it. Some of it will hit a dust particle and get absorbed, or some of it will get scattered off and not make it to us. But the light that we do see is the light that kind of survives that trip through space. And most of space is empty. So actually, the, that light gets to free stream through space indefinitely until it hits something like our cameras. What does, when, when, you're, when a telescope is like the James Webb is looking at things, what what is it seeing? What do we actually yeah, and see? What, and what do you see as an astronomer from those those images? I'm sort of butchering my question here, but <laughs> answer it anyway. No worries, no worries. Well, I think um, a lot of us have an idea of the sort of romantic vision of astronomer at a big telescope, you know, sitting all night, kind of eyepiece glued, like eye eye glued to the eyepiece, just staring through the telescope at space. Um, and that was true in the in for the most part of the 20th century. 
after the advent of photographic imaging and digital cameras, we started sticking those cameras on the ends of telescopes because those are much better at gathering light than our little eyes are. And so all of the cameras and the big telescopes today, including the James Webb Space Telescope, have these cameras on them that are very sensitive to light. And the data you're getting are basically digital pictures, like the, like the pictures from your cell phone camera or your digital camera. And sometimes they're a special kind of data where you actually take the light and you spread it out into its constituent colors and measure the composition and the motion of, of things through space as well. So getting different kinds of data that look kind of different than what you'd see with your eye through a telescope. It must be an incredibly exciting time to be an astronomer yes. with the James Webb out there getting images that must be blowing your mind. I mean, you must be looking at these things saying, oh my golly. Yeah. Is, is, it, <laughs> is it changing how you view the universe? Absolutely. Just in the first couple years of data from the James Webb, we've discovered so many things about the universe that we didn't really know before. And this is just, you know, early days, right? The telescope was pretty brand new. And so we're learning things about the most distant galaxies that it, like maybe the first galaxies that ever even formed in the universe. Um, James Webb is uh, allowing us to kind of see those and measure their properties. And one of the big things that we've learned is that there seem to be more young galaxies forming stars at earlier times in the universe than we expected. And so that's kind of exciting, because that means we have some more stuff to try and explain. Well, I understand it's exciting for you to, uh, to, to observe it, but have these been surprises, things you didn't expect? Yeah, yeah, they've been surprises. I mean, think the previous picture from everything we knew from like the Hubble Space Telescope and big telescopes on the ground kind of suggested a different, um, you know, adolescence for the universe. Uh, and now we're sort of realizing, oh, our timescales need to be refined. We actually need to think about how the physics works earlier than we expected. And that's also true in other areas of astronomy in terms of like how stars and planets form. We're learning like there's new chemicals and new kinds of compositions in the regions around stars that form planets that we didn't expect to see. So lots of fun surprises we couldn't have predicted. Can we go back for one second to this star that has been discovered its light arrived after 13.8 yeah. billion years of traveling through space. You told us just a moment ago that our sun is going to devour itself. Ah. So that said, is the light that we're seeing from that star that's traveled 13.8 billion years, is the overwhelming odds that that star no longer exists? Oh, absolutely. That star is long gone. <laughs> in fact, in, in part because we can see it um, in such a distant galaxy, the star has to be really, really hot, really, really bright, emitting a lot of light. And one of the things we know about stars is that the bigger and brighter you are, the faster you exhaust all your fuel. So the biggest stars live fast and die young. And the sun is kind of a small star, so we got another five billion years. But that distant star... I appreciate you making me feel so much better. Yeah, yeah, just, <laughs> yeah, don't worry about it. Um, <laughs> but that star that we've seen in the distant universe is probably so bright, so massive for us to even be able to see it, that it it probably only lived maybe 100 million years at most. The, uh, my angst is still that the sun's going to burn itself out. <laughs> <laughs> how, do you, how do you know that? I mean, how do you know that it's going to be four billion years and not the day after tomorrow? Oh, yeah. Well, one thing that can um, put, it, put your mind at ease is that we know the mass of the sun. And so we can measure the mass of the sun actually by sort of seeing how everything in the solar system is orbiting it. So gravity works the same way no matter where you are in the universe. So if we know how big the sun is and we know how brightly it's shining. We know how, how fast it's basically converting its fuel from hydrogen into light. 
And so we know that the sun is so massive, it's got lots of fuel. The fuel tank is full. It will last for another many billion Good. years. We, we are just so lucky to be auditing this class here in the studio with Smith Professor and Astronomer Kimberly Ward-Duong. We're going to be back and talk more about, well, here we are. We're talking winter solace. Solstice, it's just before Christmas, and we're talking Jolly Beans. We'll be right back. schools, certainly longer than any one of those city councilors. Where the heart of the Pioneer Valley lives. 1015 and 1400 WHMP News, Information and the Arts. Hi, this is Jane Wolf, Senior Vice President of Residential Lending at Greenfield Cooperative Bank. I'd like to wish you and your family a wonderful holiday season and a prosperous new year. Hi, this is Missy Tatro, Assistant Vice President and Senior Mortgage Originator at Greenfield Cooperative Bank. I'd like to wish everyone a safe and happy holiday season. Hi, this is Julie and Ashley, wishing, wishing everyone a, a cheerful, stress-free holiday season and, and a delightful new year. Hi, I'm Brendan O'Connor. I'm Ethan McCandless. And I am Luke Parsons. From the credit department at Greenfield Cooperative Bank, happy holidays. Hi, this is Teresa from the 63 Federal Street Office of Greenfield Cooperative Bank. I would like to wish all of our customers and their families a Christmas that's merry and bright and a happy new year filled with love, health, and happiness. Hi, I'm Dawn. And I'm Erica from the Florence branch of Northampton Cooperative Bank. We, we would, would like, like to extend our best wishes to our customers, families, and friends for a happy holiday season and a happy new year. Cheers. What's cooking at River Valley Co-op? Here's avid eater, grocery shopper, and co-op member, Bill Newman. Sweeten up your holiday parties with gingerbread cookies, chocolate hazelnut seashells, vanilla Hanukkah cookies, and mini Dresden Stolen. It's all at the co-op. Sweet treats, the holiday roast, fresh seafood, beer and wine, and lots and lots and lots of local farm fruits and vegetables. Do a little gift shopping, too. River Valley Co-op, wild about local. Everyone is welcome. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP. And we are back with our two professors, Brian Adams and Kimberly Ward-Duong, talking about, well, the winter solstice and the universe. And space. Space. The final frontier. Space is the place. And happy solstice to all of our listeners on this shortest of days, longest of nights. The good news is we are, the light is returning. Um, hurrah for that. Um, Kim, you are uh, an esteemed astronomer, and your research, some of your research, uh, you were lucky enough, no, fortunate, smart enough to have research accepted for the James Webb Telescope, and some of that data has come in for you. Can you talk us, tell us about your research and what James Webb has given to you? 
Yeah, absolutely. So um, one of the things that I study in my own research, I'm really curious about how stars and planets form in general and where they come from and what kinds of solar systems might exist around other stars beyond our own solar system. And so when we see stars in the night sky, we think that on average, almost every star you see in the night sky probably has a planet or two or more orbiting around it. And that's where my area of research comes in. So I'm really intrigued by these objects that are not quite stars and not quite planets. So you think about how small can you make a star before it stops um, using elements to emit light? Because planets don't emit their own light, right? Like the Earth and, and Jupiter and everything. We're just reflecting light from the sun. So there's this kind of very weird middle ground between stars and planets, which are called brown dwarfs. These are objects that are almost brown. like... Dwarfs? Brown dwarfs, yeah. Uh -huh. And they're basically super Jupiters. Like they're bigger than Jupiter, but they're not, they don't have enough oomph. They're not big enough to actually burn um, material to fuse hydrogen into helium and shine like a star. So they can't, like, they're like failed stars in some sense. This Jupiter is, this is, is a, this is a hybrid star planet? Yeah. That's what you're telling me? Exactly. Wow. Yeah. And we don't know exactly how they form or where they come from. So I'm as confused as everyone else. It's a failed star. <laughs> yes. And has, James Webb help clarify any of that for you? Yeah, so some of our data are that we got earlier in October are actually images of a sun-like star that happens to have one of these brown dwarfs orbiting around it, which is really interesting because we don't have one in our solar system. Our biggest companion to the sun is Jupiter, but we don't have a failed star. We don't have a super Jupiter. And so one of the things we're trying to understand with taking images of these pictures of the system are why, why do these systems exist in the first place? Where do they come from? Why does this sun-like star have one? Why don't we? Um, and can we study its atmosphere? Does it look like a planet? Does it look like a star? Can we study its properties? It must be so exciting for you. It's really good. getting these images. It's like, oh my golly, and just changing how you view the universe. Yeah, in yeah. colors that we've never looked at these objects in before. So that's one of the really fun things about James Webb is that we can see colors of light that we couldn't look at before, essentially. Amazing. Yeah. Unbelievable. Um, when I talk to you or, or hear you speak, I get what you're saying. And, but, to, but, you know, 15 minutes from now, if I have to explain it to someone, it's like, well, there are these stars that aren't stars, but they're not planets. And it's like, well, I don't quite get it. And I'm curious, as a professor of astronomy, you teach an introduction to astronomy mm -hmm. class, and how do you grade students? I mean, because <laughs> don't they sit there and they listen and they get it? But I, I think it would be very challenging to, um, to try to get what their level of, of understanding of these concepts is. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I have. I think we all have this sort of universal experience sitting in a classroom where you hear something really interesting and cool, and you're like, wow, that's amazing. But then you leave, you walk out of the classroom, and you're like, oh my gosh, I don't remember like all the details of the things that I learned. I know. As, as a student of science, I was a failed star myself. Yeah. <laughs> and I think many of us have fallen into that sort of experience. And a big part of it is that only a small amount of learning truly happens in the classroom. So I think during lectures and things, what we're really trying to do is kind of plant a seed. But where you really get the learning is, is in outside the classroom, is doing the homework, being exposed repeatedly to these new ideas until you kind of cement them for yourself. And one of the things that I really love having my students do is actually make um, recorded video solutions and explanations of the problems that they work on. And because I think having the opportunity to explain something is where you really get the learning, right? You realize where the Swiss cheese holes in your understanding are as soon as you're tasked to try and explain it to another human being. And I get that all the time, getting to explain that reinforces my own knowledge, but students have the opportunity to do that. As soon as they can do that, I think they start to click a little bit more. That's I have cool. been in the studio many times with my co-host, Bill Newman. Bill, you've never failed to ask the question of an astronomer about 
alien life. Okay, I guess I'm on the spot here. <laughs> I'm convinced that there is life mm. uh, elsewhere. My mm. question is, intelligent life with technology? What do you think? Hold on, I'm, I'm not convinced there's intelligent life on this planet. That's an excellent <laughs> point. That's an excellent... the last year or so. I'm excellent hoping with the point. solstice, the return of light, maybe there's the return of intelligence. Brian, I think that's an ex knows? excellent point. So here's the question, is there life on other planets? It's, it's a great question. I think one of the pressing, most pressing ones of the next 20, 30 years in astronomy is us trying to answer that question. And I agree with you. I think, you know, if you think about life on Earth, life carves out a foothold in a niche in the most awful environments, right? The, the hottest, like, hydrothermal vents at the, at the heart of the sea, the coldest Antarctic oceans have life. So we think that life can exist in these extreme places. And, and in fact, life on Earth for the first, I give or take, four billion years was pretty, uh, I won't say it's minimal, but it wasn't very evolved. But there exactly. was life but for was billions life. of years. Absolutely, yeah. And so the odds of that being possible, given that we now we now know of 5,000 exoplanets, 5,000 planets orbiting stars that are not our sun. And so given the ubiquity of exoplanets, it seems natural to think that you know, life could probably carve out a niche on one of those planets as well. Now, the question, the loaded question that you've asked is, and one that Brian has mentioned too, is intelligence, right? And intelligence is very hard to quantify. So there are lots of initiatives just trying to, like, listen and see if we could see signatures from intelligent civilizations. We haven't found those yet. That's, I think, more of an open question. But we have to find life at all first. Um, Kim... Uh, let's get back to the solstice for a minute. It's mm -hmm. the shortest day of the year. We're celebrating that. And there's a celebration going on this afternoon uh, for those of uh, listeners who are hearing this as a morning live show uh, at the solstice, at the fake Stonehenge. Not yes. fake, but the little Stonehenge at UMass. Tribute Stonehenge. Yes. Can you talk <laughs> about that? Yeah, absolutely. So the uh, Five College Astronomy Department and UMass um, Department of Astronomy Every uh, solstice, winter and summer solstice, will do events at sunrise and sunset at the Sun Wheel, which is sort of a tribute Stonehenge construction on the UMass campus. It's free. There will be an astronomer there talking about how the solstice works. Um, you can see how the stones are set to align with the rising and the setting of the sun at different times of the year, which is very similar to what we see in ancient <coughs> civilizations all over the world. And um, at 3.30 p.m. this afternoon, you can go and talk to an astronomer, and they'll tell you all about what the solstice is and show you how the sunset is aligning perfectly with these cardinal directions. I remember laughing when Eddie Izzard said during his uh, one-man show that Stonehenge was his favorite <laughs> henge. But in fact, there are other henges. There are many henges, yes. <laughs> and UMass has one of them. And if you miss it tonight, you can go there anytime. And there's nice signs up that explain things, and it's really a pretty interesting thing to do. Absolutely. I had the good fortune years ago um, of, uh, of camping uh, illegally, of course, right next to the real Stonehenge. Mm -hmm. And this was before there was a wire and fencing around it. And uh, at night, I crept out of the tent and went into Stonehenge and lay on the sacrificial stone. And it was really quite a moving experience. It's made me the man I am today. Um, the pagan you are today. The pagan I am today. Um, exactly. Um, Kim, any final words about astronomy and that you'd like to share with us? How how can people get more information about the world and the universe? Is there a website that you go to? Not the James website, but maybe the James website. 
Yeah, there are a few. Um, there's a wonderful astronomy picture of the day that's updated every day uh, through NASA and their space.com, all of these other outlets. NASA itself has a great website with new results from the James Webb Space Telescope that's updated every week with something new and mind-blowing and astonishing. And there are also great follows on social media. So uh, JWST, James Webb, and Hubble both have beautiful social media accounts where they're always posting new discoveries. And so that's a really fun way. And then attending these local events. So we have star parties at Smith College. Um, throughout the semester. There's these sunwheel events that happen. So just come talk to your local astronomers, too. And you are a wonderful local astronomer, and we so appreciate having you on the show. And we'll have you back again and again and again, and particularly when these images continue to come in from the James Webb. And you're so, it's so, uh, we're so privileged to have you as a researcher with it, that James Webb stuff. And I know you have another proposal in, so hopefully that will come through as well. And we are lucky to have you, Professor Brian Adams, and you, Kimberly Ward-Dwong, thank you so much for joining us today. It's a wonderful day. It's a winter solstice, and let's celebrate it. We'll be right back. We've got me. is Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. Three men involved in the shooting in Holyoke that killed an unborn child and severely wounded the mother in October have been indicted by a grand jury. Alejandro Ramos, John Luis Sanchez, and Kermit Alvarez will now appear in Hamden Superior Court on murder charges. Two other suspects, Jose Galarza and J. Marie Rosado Rosario, have been indicted on charges related to helping Alvarez after the shooting, who turned himself in and was arraigned one month after the shooting occurred. Two people were struck by vehicles near Smith College last week, and now officials from the city and the college are looking for ways to make crossing the street more safe. West Street and Elm Street are some of the busiest roads bordering the college campus. At least 13 people have been struck by cars on those two streets within the last eight years, according to the Gazette. The city of Northampton recently conducted a study paid for by a $66,000 gift from the college to analyze the traffic situation on West and Elm and to provide possible safety improvements to the area. The proposed improvements include flashing lights at the crosswalk by Forbes Library and converting Green Street to a one-way road and adding bicycle lanes. A Florence man will spend the next four years in prison after pleading guilty to 13 counts of possessing child pornography. 61-year-old Philip Brocklesby also received five years probation and will have to register as a sex offender and have no unsupervised contact with children upon his release. Prosecutors allege Brocklesby possessed 100,000 files and frequented the dark web. He was arrested in September 2020 at his Bridge Road home. Plenty of sunshine today, a high of 34 to 38. Clear skies tonight, cooling off with evening temperatures in the 20s and an overnight low of 10 to 16. Bright again tomorrow, a high in the mid to upper 30s, mostly cloudy on Saturday. I'm 22 News Storm Team Meteorologist Brian Lapis, 101.5 WHMP. It's your home for the resistance. Tom Hartman, weekdays at noon. Get informed and get involved. I'm Tom Hartman from the Tom Hartman Program. Intelligent talk, opinion, and debate. Join me every weekday, noon to 3, right here on WHMP. 101.5 and 1400 WHMP.
Rush doctors, short appointments. Is anyone listening? I'm Dr. Kate Atkinson, and I'm excited to announce that Atkinson Family Practice is now offering concierge medicine in addition to our main practice. An annual fee gets you access to an experienced, board-certified doctor who has fewer patients so they can devote more time to you. Atkinson Concierge Medicine. If your health concerns need more time, coordination, and advocacy, concierge might be right for you. Visit atkinsonfamilypractice.com slash concierge. Mortgage rates are falling, but that doesn't mean home prices will, too. The Wall Street Journal reports the drop in rates is bringing buyers back to the market, but not as many current homeowners are putting their homes on the market. That could actually push prices even higher. Remember last holiday season's massive meltdown by Southwest Airlines stranding millions of passengers? The Transportation Department hasn't forgotten. It slapped the airline with a record $140 million fine, most of which will go into a fund to compensate future travelers. Verando Air is adding about one and three quarters million steam-fast home and away travel steam irons to its earlier recall. The power cord can become damaged near the cord brushing, which can lead to overheating of the cord, posing fire and burn hazards. It's happened 74 times. I'm Mark Huffman. Learn more at ConsumerAffairs.com. And welcome back to the show, and welcome to our weekly wonderful segment, All That Jazz. And it is the season to be giving gifts, and Glenn Siegel, you have brought us one today. Yes, it's my pleasure to welcome percussionist, spoken word artist, and longtime Valley resident, Tony Vaca, who has both traveled the world and been a mainstay on the local music scene for decades, and is a pioneer in what has come to be called world music. Tony Vaca, welcome to All That Jazz on WHMP. Thank you. Nice to be here. Familiar we just, faces. We were just talking to an astronomer. We have yet another star in the studio. Yes. Well, Tony, I must tell you at the outset, one of the most profound musical experiences I've had was watching you and percussionist Sam Bennett perform at the Nafafa Gallery on West Street in Northampton in the early 1980s. That gig changed my life. Do you remember? I do, that? and this is so amazing that you said that. I was in my basement this morning pulling out old posters, and there's the poster of me and Sam Bennett. Wow. Sam lives in, in Tokyo now, uh, and there's the, there's the poster. And I'm looking at it going, yeah, and then there's a couple of them. We did something in Cambridge. We did something here. So... That is just too amazing yeah. that you pulled that one out of your hat. And Nafafa Gallery, that was your gallery? Yeah, it yeah. Was, the idea was I was uh, going to West Africa because Janetta Cole, who was teaching a, a course at UMass, taught a course called Cultures of West Africa. And I'm, I'm into it, I'm doing it, I'm making the connection between like the art ensemble and West African uh, uh, drum ensembles. And she looks at me and says, I want to see you after class. Now, if you know Janetta, I'm in trouble. Janetta is a powerhouse. And she goes, you got to go to Africa. I, I, I hear what you're writing. And that one sentence gets me, winds me up all through West Africa. And what I wind up playing, uh, the, the, the giant balaphone, the giant African xylophone, that all comes from that. 
And what you saw Sam and I do was both of us had in common a trip to West Africa that just spun our heads and opened our hearts and minds and just said, it's all music. And, and it was a great lesson because there it was, well, if you can play, you better jump in. Mm-hmm. Not, this is ours, that's yours. They were like, it's a community vibe. You got something? And I love that. So that's how that came yeah. to be. Well, that's a perfect segue. I wanted to ask you about the Senegal America Project. Wow. Um, tell us how it began and how many times you've been to Senegal. Okay. The phone rings and it's Jordy Harold. Hey, you want to open up for a band at the Iron Horse? Well, I had played there several times. So I go, no, I want the night to our band. But what do you got in mind? Well, Bob Amal is coming, and we thought you might want to open up. Let me think it over. Yes, yes, <laughs> I, I want to do that. So uh, next thing you know, I called Tidi Leloka. She's a South African singer. She was at UMass uh, studying. She went on to be the first Rafiki in The Lion King, and she and I open up for them. Well, we're doing our sound check, and Bob Amal and company walk in the door, and they're looking at us. They've seen a lot, and I know that. They look over, and what they're seeing is, wait a minute, we have a South African singer in America rocking a sort of jazz kind of sound, and then we have a white guy on the balaphone. Where is the world going? You know, They had that cool look on their faces, and that sort of, that sort of started out my uh, longtime uh, friendship and collaborations with Masamba Jope, who was the tama drummer in Baba's band. So Baba invited me to Senegal and, um, you know, said, when you get there, we'll do some things. I came to understand that Bob is understated. When he says do some things, it really means do some things. So I wound up on national television with his band and all of a sudden people knew my name uh, in Senegal and it was on. So I invited Masamba to come and play in America because Bob put us together and said, the two of you work on some stuff and then we'll do something. So I did. I worked with Masamba for almost a month, and suddenly I was playing in concerts and then on national television. Uh, so when I ran my mouth and said, Masamba, we're going to bring you to America, what do you think? And he said, yes. Now it was on me to get a visa. That was a learning curve. I got him a P1 uh, visitor's visa, and he came here, and we did a modest tour, and 17 tours later... Uh, we're, we're best buddies, and what do you know, one day Masamba calls me from Senegal. Hey, Tony. Hey, Masamba, what's going on? Doing, like, recording session with some people. Oh, no kidding. Who? I don't know, some people from L.A. No kidding. Yeah, me and Baba. It's like a soundtrack. Cool. What's, like a movie? Yeah. What's the movie? Uh, Black something. Black Panther. Masamba Jope is all over the Black Panther movie one and two, and he and Baba Mal are in the second one. So the Senegal America Project just exploded when Masamba came here. We went into schools and played concerts. And uh, then I met a young group that I guess you'd have to call Senegalese rappers called Gokbi System. And another group that were singers, kind of the Senegalese version of the Bee Gees, called Bideo Bubes. And all of us threw it together. We all played everywhere we could. And we got invited everywhere. I mean... One of the one of the gigs I especially remember was the 50th anniversary of the Peace Corps at the Kennedy Center in Boston. But the point really is, we just it just struck us that while we can't, none of us can afford to pay all of us to play. Nothing, no one can stop us all from playing. And then it was on. So 
we did a thing at the Shea Theater called From Global to Local. Uh, we've done first nights in Wilmington, Delaware, and Northampton for that matter. We recently did a special performance in Wilmington, Delaware at their uh, Arts Exchange Amphitheater. So, and Bideo Bubes just came through uh, November 1st and we did a recording session. So, alive and well and doing everything we can think of. Well, what is it, Tony Baca? You are a, a local legend in terms of your musical prowess. What is it about African music? Is it the rhythm? Is it those Ooh, great hauntingly question. beautiful, you know, melodic, harmonic uh, things that it brings? What is it? Yeah, I mean, you got the right question for sure. Um, well, first of all, you know, birthplace of humanity. So we all have a thread and a really significant one and some, some bigger threads, uh, gigantic connections. So it shouldn't be a surprise at all that when you hear the current version of that whole legacy of music and humanity, there should be threads connecting us. Uh, oh, by all means, be an American player. Be whoever you are, wherever you are. But you can't forget where it all comes from or where you come from. So having said that, yeah, the, the elegance is what strikes me. Uh, w when I hear, I guess it's fair to say that we are rhythmic creatures, it's a rhythmic planet, we're in a rhythmic universe. We're built from the rhythms that come out of the drums, not the other way around. We created the rhythm. You can say that if you want, but if you're paying attention, you're in it. So from my point of view, you hear a singer like Baba Mal and his sort of modern orchestra, and yet his Donde Lignol band, they are rocking it, and it is the 21st century. But it's ancient stuff that they're building on. So I watch them do it, you know, right in front of my eyes, and it's all the above. It's, it's the, the depth of community connection. It's the generosity of spirit kind of vibe. And it's, can we raise ourselves and all of us up? And if that ain't attractive enough, I don't know what is. Well, let me ask you, Glenn Siegel. You are a musicologist. Of anyone I know, you are a jazz historian. And African-American music is something that you've uh, made a career out of for decades Amen. now. Do you, do you recognize the origins that Tony Vaca is talking about in the music you love so much? Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean... You know, the modern drum kid, it, it all harkens back to, you know, African percussion. Um, yeah, like Tony said, it's, it's the birthplace of humanity, and, and that extends to music as well. So, you know, whether it's overt, something we would listen to and say, oh, that's from, you know, somewhere in Africa or not, it still derives from African sources. And, and that that spectacular tree of influence, the diaspora of humanity, we take those threads of the music that has been made from the beginning to now. We're always inventing something new. In a way, we're reliving the invention of, of music itself. Every time you dare to play, you, you've got this kind of deep connection. And, and groups, some groups, like the Art Ensemble of Chicago, took us very urban uh, version of the, the long-standing beginnings of music and put it in Chicago. We're going to teach it. We're going to be it. We're going to play it. It's going to be face paint. It's going to be street clothes. You know, we're going to bring it all together. What it was their moniker? Uh, great black music ancient to the future. Mm -hmm. Hello. So I think we all, you know, should embrace that legacy if you dare. And then, then Jimi Hendrix fits right next to Avery Sharp because they can. Mm-hmm. 
And we have a really special treat. Tony has brought in some of his uh, instruments, including the balafon, uh, which he's going to share with us. And we have some other percussionists in the room as well. Um, before we do that, Tony, just give us a thumbnail sketch of this beautiful instrument. Uh, the balafon, it's, that's its sort of nickname, balafon. It began as balan, B-A-L-A-N, balanji. It's a traditional instrument. No one's really going to get to where the beginnings are, but let's just say many hundreds of years ago, it was being played in orchestral settings. So uh, it's, it's got a long-standing history. The one I'm playing today is uh, from the Baule people of uh, the nation called uh, Cote d'Ivoire or Ivory Coast. But really, the instrument grew out of the grand, biggest version of the Mali Empire. And the tradition of music is to ignite, excite, uh, raise us up, and don't look back. Um, it's wooden keys uh, that are amplified by gourds underneath each key. The gourd has the same frequency of vibration of the key, and the buzzing that you might hear comes from these membranes put on the gourd. So while Jimi Hendrix rocked his fuzz tone, he didn't invent it. <laughs> it came from here. So when I play... It sounds like I am who I am. It sounds like I'm a drummer who grew up outside of Newark, New Jersey, playing whatever he thought he should be playing. But you can't leave out all those players in West Africa who so gener generously showed me some of their cool riffs and then demanded back, you know, you better show us some stuff. So, Well, could you give us a taste for Tony sure. Baca? Christmas Tony Vaca gave to me. <laughs> we'll be right back with Glenn Siegel and Tony Vaca. And Buzz Eisenberg coming up right here on WHMP. I'm Lisa Riley. Join me every Saturday at 9.30 a.m. here on WHMP as we share stories that shine a light on justice-involved individuals or just underdogs in the game of life, their struggles, their successes, and the many resources and opportunities available for those who are hustling to carve a new path and prove that failure isn't final. So unlock your future, rewrite your story. This is The Hustler Files. 
Fitting in can really feel like it matters, especially when you're in high school. At the Hartsbrook High School in Hadley, fitting in doesn't mean conforming. It just means a sense of belonging. If you're into sports or into writing, if you're into arts or into math, if you're into nature or using technology as a tool, you can thrive at Hartsbrook High School. And you can thrive academically while being an integral part of a community intentionally focused on belonging. Hartsbrook students take their learning out of the classroom, into nature, into the community, learning through experience, experiments, research, and group projects. Hartsbrook prepares a person to look the world in the eye and take responsibility for themselves and the community. Is Hartsbrook right for your teenager? For parents and caregivers, there's a Discover Hartsbrook High School evening, February 6th. There are visiting days for students, January 23rd and February 6th. Register at hartsbrook.org. The Hartsbrook School, Waldorf Education, Early Childhood through High School on a 55-acre campus on Bay Road in Hadley. Maybe you still have your copy of a favorite long-ago book, like I do, about Mickey Mantle, signed by my Uncle Bill, Hanukkah, 1958. A book can make a lasting impression. Something Someday is the new picture book by the presidential inaugural poet Amanda Gorman. Get it at Broadside Bookshop. For middle grade and elementary readers, Percy Jackson and the Olympians, The Chalice of the Gods. Order any book on the Broadside website. Have it delivered anywhere or pick it up at the store, then browse a bit. Broadside, Northampton's independent bookshop. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP. And we are back with Glenn Siegel and, uh, well, a local legend, Tony Vaca. That's kind. I'll take it. <laughs> Thank you. So, Tony, you have longstanding relationships with many of the finest musicians in the Valley. You mentioned John Sheldon, uh, Derek Jordan, Avery Sharp, yeah. Joe Salins. Um, tell us about the music scene here and your place in it. Wow. I mean, I first was playing music here after I had graduated UMass. I came up on a gymnastics scholarship. It was a pretty vibrant community. Northampton didn't look like what it looks like now. It looked like a mill town just kind of hanging on. And um, I, thanks to Janetta Cole's uh, finger wagon, Go to Africa, I did. Uh, when I got back, it was um, the fall of 73. The music scene was sparse but real. And I started playing, and next thing you know, I met up with, with several people, uh, Tim Moran among the first, and Tim was good friends with Avery Sharp. And so pretty soon, these connections turned into music, and I was playing. So I don't know if I'd call it rough, but it just wasn't vibrant yet. The colleges was where it was happening, and Glenn, you know all about it because you were there. Um, the Iron Horse had just begun, and uh, lucky me, I got to play there somewhere during the very early days. I think it was in the first couple months. And Tim Moran and I played a duo there, which, by the way, I'm calling them going, you're reopening. I mean, I don't know. I'm still standing. <laughs> Let's play. So I hope that's going to happen. But um, We all do. Yeah, because why not? And, and timely and important. So one by one, I met, you know, I met Joe Fonda. I met uh, uh, Joe Salins. Uh, uh, Avery Sharp, of course, we started, Tim and I started playing. It wasn't long before me and Tim got a contract with uh, Columbia, which then just became Sony. And so we called Avery Sharp. Avery, come on in. He was. It's right here in my hand from way back. That's ancient history. But all those groups had something in common that we all knew how to stay on our feet and we all had ideas that we felt compelled to play. So the scene just sort of slowly developed 
there was a point at which many of us got together and said, let's make a consortium. A little bit like the, uh, the uh, AACM in Chicago. Let's make us ourselves a, a, a group. And not a group to play, but a group of many performers, and we'll be in each other's bands and create a little scene, a festival. And that's, to me, how it started for me. And from there on, just the trips to Africa, suddenly the balafon, and everyone was kind of intrigued. We're going to play tempered instruments with a pre-tempered instrument. What? And we did. Mm-hmm. And um, we're going to do some more music before we uh, sign off today. But uh, tell us about how you started incorporating spoken word into your performance. Nice. So before I go on, though, Glenn, you were instrumental in kind of being an instigator to make the music be seen and heard more than it ever would have been. So just going to say that out loud. Thank you. You know, UMass and every time the uh, cool concert was happening, that was you, like, pushing some buttons, making it happen. So that's a big deal. Glenn Siegel and Tom Rini have, uh, what a gift they've given to all of us. Yes, exactly. I'm so glad you said that. So what do you want to know now? Well, about spoken word and poetry. That was was a big coincidence, really. I was just writing notes to myself. You know, stay on your feet. There's things going on. Uh, then I noticed that the last poets were going to play at Amherst College in this little front room, not a performance center, a sort of study hall. I was like, okay, I'm going. I knew of the last poets from, you know, from their fame around my college years, but they were underground. So uh, I go to the concert. I meet uh, Abio Dunoyuoli of the last poets. I say, someday we should do something. He says, bring it, and we do, and it reminds me I discover that when I do one or two spoken word pieces, it's a, a powerful compliment and uh, to the to the music, and I just keep rolling. This is Dan. I, I wanted to just quickly get from you. Uh, how did Senegalese culture change you from that first experience oh. you went there? Oh, that is so great. I go there and I see these amazing drummers. They're amazing, and it's a uh, and it's a group of drummers, and they're just connected at the hip and and at, at the mind level. So they're rocking, and I'm I'm watching. Somebody comes over and says, so who are you and what's going on? I'm a drummer. You're a drummer. And you didn't get in the band? Get in the band. And so there was a really warm, full embrace, no, not even an option to not be in. It was, you're in. You know, we're players. And that reminded me, be like that. Tony Vaca, how can people get their hands on, on your music? And will you drum us out? Okay. Yes and yes. Uh, let's see, how to get hands on music. Um, TonyVaca.bandcamp.com because CDs, I have them in my hand. They, they, they're not out there anymore. you got to get online. But Bandcamp is a great venue because you actually get paid decent money. So TonyVaca at uh, .bandcamp, and you'll see the music. So that's cool. And uh, play you out. Well, well Bill, a- Bill has an African drum. Dan does, and I do too. So why don't you start us off? This is Thank the, you, uh, Glenn Siegel. This is the Tama drum uh, played by Masamba Jope and Baba's band. And when you listen to the Black Panther soundtrack, it's on, all right? Bring on the band.
here in the studio in Northampton. Tony Vaca, thank you so much. Glenn Siegel, thank you so much. Everybody, thank you you for joining us today. Remember, walk the walk like Tony Vaca. Oh! (laughs) This is Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg on WHMP. Pets and people, they belong together. They help us feel calm and loved with every tail wag, kiss, and snuggle. Bacon Humane Society believes in this bond, and your support keeps people and pets together. You provide resources so animals with medical issues can get the care they need to find homes. Our pet food aid program lets people facing tough times feed and keep their pets because you care. Bacon's many programs and services help companion animals and the people who love them. To make a gift, visit DaconHumane.org. Northampton Neighbors is free of charge and open to all with a range of social and volunteer opportunities as well as services and support for members 55 and older in the city of Northampton. Need help? Want to help? Join us as a member, a volunteer, or donor. Northampton Neighbors is about more than aging in place. We're about engaging in place, this place. Find us online at northamptonneighbors.org or call us at 413-341-0160. WHMP Northampton and W 